Welcome to Actually Qualified, the podcast by AWPT University that shifts from influence to impact. Each week, we bring you impactful conversations with qualified guests and industry leaders, inspiring both seasoned experts and newcomers in the fitness, health, and business arena. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions bridging the gap between knowledge and practice, because at AWPT University, we believe those with qualified education and experience should have the biggest influence. Join us on Actually Qualified every week as we elevate what it truly means to be actually qualified in the industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Actually Qualified podcast. I am your host today, Tara McKenzie, and I am so excited to bring you another episode. Today, I am joined by the lovely Christina Mollenhauer, and we are bringing you an episode all about eating disorders and working with clients with disordered eating behaviors. This is obviously a super sensitive discussion and something that I think is so important for coaches to understand the nuances of, understand the signs and symptoms and how we can best work with our clients as well as other allied health professionals to give our clients who might present with these symptoms or conditions the best support and care that we can. With that in mind, we discuss how we can navigate the complexities of the eating disorder spectrums, what signs and symptoms to look out for, as well as the kinds of questionnaires that we can be providing our clients and what our responsibility is as coaches. All in all, I absolutely loved this episode with Christina and I know you will too. So without further ado, let's jump straight in. Alrighty. Hello everybody. Welcome back. Welcome Christina. Thank you so much for coming on the potty. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. I know it's going to be a juicy episode today. I want to start with some fun, quick fire questions. This is a new segment that we are doing on the podcast so that we can get to know our guests a little bit more break the ice um, and see where the conversation takes us from there. So without further ado, if you could only be or do one exercise for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? So first of all, I thought running, even though it's not like an exercise, I just thought running because I'm like, I love running. It's just fun. Um, But if we're talking about like one exercise, it would probably be like barbell glute bridges um mainly because of the fact that who doesn't want to train their glutes but also because I love that you can lift super heavy on them even though it doesn't require I guess a lot of you know complete full body strength so that's probably yeah if I could do one exercise for the rest of my life probably that <laughs> I love that I completely agree there's something about being able to just like lift really heavy that makes you feel really empowered um when it comes yeah. to those hip thrusts like and even just I think as a girl in the gym looking around and being like I can, I'm hip thrusting more than the boys here. And I love that about myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you can have like all the weights lined up and you're like, gosh, I'm strong. I'm a weapon. (laughs) Absolutely. And like all of the different colored plates and stuff like that. And you're like, look at me just stacking it on. But what would one daily habit or routine be that contributes to your overall or overall well-being outside of your fitness routine? Yeah. So this one's definitely no screen time after 7 p.m. Um, and I've done that for so many years, but like, yeah, no screen time after 7 p.m. So like no social media, no nothing. And I use that time to like stretch, read, um, you know, journal, chill out before bed, like whatever it is. And I find for someone who takes a while to like switch off from their day, doing that has been like foundational and like allowing me to just like 
chill out, switch off, and then also get to bed early to, you know, get up early the next day and get at it again. So yeah, that's probably my one daily habit and routine that I'm like non-negotiable. Um, but yeah, also means I'm a bit of a grandma, but that's right. <laughs> But all the best people are, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. And does the no screen time include, like, is a TV a screen in this rule or is it sort of phone, laptop screen? Yeah, no, no, TV, no. Like, on the weekends, you know, if I'm going, like, I'll watch a movie or something, I'm not that, um, like, psycho about it. But, like, during the week, you know, I don't like to do screens before I go to bed um, and especially, yeah, social media. Um, so, yeah, it does include, like, the TV and stuff, but I don't really, yeah, don't have a TV in my room. So normally I'm just Fair. reading or doing something there, yeah. I love that. Um, and we'll get to, I'm um, feeling nosy and want to ask like what kind of books that you read, but maybe that will come up later. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. if you had a theme song that played every time you entered a room, what would it be? Yeah. So I'm not a huge, like, I guess like music person in the sense of like, I love a certain artist. It's just like, I like, you know, broad and pretty much everything. But the song that comes to my mind is Centuries by Fallout Boy. And it is not because I like, I guess, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Fall Out Boy. I mean, there's nothing wrong, but I don't listen to all their music. But as a kid, we used to go to like the soccer um, and always would watch like the Brisbane Roar because that's where I'm from, like play. And that was their theme song when they would like walk out onto the thing. Um, And every time I would hear that song, like it became a joke with like my family and friends of like, you know, if I had to choose one song, to be my theme song it would be that song so yeah it's that song even though it's not like I sit around listening to it all day it's more just like the song and the vibe that it kind of gives I love it and it's sort of the nostalgia that's associated with that anyway like it's the memories associated with going to the soccer and growing up and like the fact that that makes you sort of hyped up now um they're, they're always the best kind of songs as well yeah yeah so Switching gears a little bit, going back to another fun kind of question. What would you say is your guilty pleasure? I say guilty with like in quotation marks because I don't think you necessarily feel guilty about something fun. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say like anytime I'm in the car, I will literally have my own personal dance singing concert. Like love that. Like get me in the car. I'll be singing. I'll be dancing at the lights. Like I have countless stories where I've been, you know, vibing along to a song at the lights and people are like looking at me and like laughing or whatever um but yeah I just love it I'm like get me in a car you can just sing like enjoy yourself so yeah probably that a hundred percent I I love that and I couldn't agree more because I think I'm always sad that people miss it like when I'm vibing alone in the car and I'm like oh my god no one else gets to enjoy this absolute one woman show like shame for them yeah literally but then I also, I'm like vibing in the car and I'm looking around at all the other people on the road. I'm like, why is no one else singing? And then I'm like, do people yeah. think that I'm talking to myself? Surely they can tell that it's music, but why is everyone else so boring? Yeah, no, literally. It's like a personal <laughs> concert. <laughs> exactly. Now, in your experience, what is one common misconception about female-specific training or nutrition that you'd like to debunk? Yeah, I would say the main one for me is probably training fasted for females. Um, and obviously this depends depending on the actual training. Like it's different if you're just going for, you know, a walk or things like that. But for the clients I work with and especially, you know, with like um, periods and your hormones and all of those things, training fasted is definitely something for like all my clients pretty much that, 
um, also, yeah, that I want them to be doing because, yeah, I guess when we don't train fasters and, you know, you're going off to do a hit class or you're going off for a big run and things like that, that can actually lead to, you know, affecting your hormones and things like that. And because I guess females, even compared to um, males, when we're talking about, you know, biological, um, I guess what happens is males have a lot higher kind of stress tolerance around, you know, fasting and things like that. But for females, um, you know, we have less resistance to that and it can actually do the opposite where, you know, slow your metabolism and things like that. So that's something that I... Um, yeah, always, I guess, promote with my clients is like, you know, eating just something before you train can just help reduce and support your hormones to not lead to, you know, hypothalamic amenorrhea or other hormone conditions and things like that, which it kind of goes against a lot of like this diet culture stuff that you see. It's like, you know, fast or do intermittent fasting, which again, that's not the best thing to support females and their hormones. So yeah, that's probably a one common misconception um even you know if someone is wanting to pursue certain goals um around body competition like training um with a bit of food or something you know a bit of a primer before they do train that in itself is actually going to help you perform better and feel better and support you know your overall health as well so yeah probably yeah one of the most common misconception ones that I always see that comes up and I'm like definitely for females and training is something that I talk about a lot yeah yeah, no, 100%. Even from a coaching perspective, that's one of the questions that I get asked so much from clients, mm. especially female clients, because I think there was a big rage a few years ago, like, or a big trend a few years ago in and around intermittent fasting and mm. how that was like yeah. an amazing weight loss technique and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and then, as is often the case, a lot of that research is not actually done on women and how it affects female bodies as mm. well. Like, it's particularly centered around the male body and so while it might be you know quote unquote beneficial for people what they really mean is like beneficial for men (laughs) um and yeah it's just one of those things that you know when they're giving these broad statements about fasting or training fasted or intermittent fasting and all of that kind of stuff it's not with that sort of like caveat of who has this research actually been done on um and yeah what is the, you know, what are the actual consequences for people that weren't, you know, considered in those results? Which is why, you know, we see these benefits, whether it's, you know, anti-aging or, you know, decreased insulin resistance or whatever. Yes, there's research for that, but it's done on males and it actually doesn't look at, you know, how female hormones are actually very sensitive to, you know, that energy availability, which is, I guess, how many calories and food is available in the body to be used and you know when your body perceives that there actually isn't enough of that that's when it starts to down regulate you know hormone secretion and all those things which then in turn interferes with hormone levels and different things which as I mentioned before leads to things like hypothalamic amenorrhea or other different hormone conditions for yeah well that's the other thing that you bring up there too is is this conversation around energy availability because that's obviously a big mm-hmm. thing um in general but especially for women and, and their sort of optimal health levels and and how much um energy availability you need to be able to have like regular healthy cycles regular healthy hormones all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and i think when yeah. people are talking about training fasted they're not taking into consideration like yes obviously you need fuel for a workout and so it's better to be you know eating something to be able to fuel your workout but even you know depending on the time of day that you're training say you're training at like 
8 a.m. If you're training fasted, you already haven't eaten in the morning, then you're training for an hour, and then you're probably not hungry straight after. So automatically you're sort of intermittent fasting or the the window in which you're going to be eating for the rest of the day has been shortened and you're probably not mm. making up for that like missed breakfast that you have so it's not just about training fasted it's the fact that often that comes with people just skipping breakfast or you know yeah. people having a smaller meal for dinner because they get home late from tra- like all of that kind of stuff yeah yeah exactly that's the end of the quick fire questions done loved that i feel like we got a little bit of an insight into you your personality what you do um so to dive into that a little bit deeper um i would love for you to tell us a little bit about who you are what you do what you love and i suppose yeah what inspired you to become a dietitian and work with the people that you do yeah um, so yeah, my name, yeah, I was at the start, Christina. I'm a eating disorder dietitian um, and I guess I'm on a mission to help others to feel normal around food and build a better relationship with their body and also find recovery. Um, and I guess how I've kind of ended myself in this kind of field of work is that I too, you know, went through my own um, journey with an eating disorder many years ago and I was in that position, you know, where I felt controlled by diet culture and kind of on that endless pursuit of perfection with food and exercise um, and really kind of fell into that trap of, you know, not having a healthy relationship first with my own body, which then in turn kind of, um, I guess the outlet was of that was controlling everything around food and exercise, um, which then, you know, led to a full blown out eating disorder, which honestly just took so much away from my life which you know this thing that I thought if I you know get to this certain goal if I get to a certain body size I'm going to be happy you know everything's going to just fall into place when in turn it pretty much just got me further and further away from the health I was actually trying to achieve so that was my own journey and when I kind of went through that you know I worked with my own dietitian and the psychologist and I was in the middle of it actually kind of stopped for a moment and was like you know if I ever get through this because a lot of the times it kind of feels like okay is this something that I'm actually like gonna live with the rest of my life because you know it's hard sometimes when you're in that thick of it to see you know a life where you aren't controlled by this eating disorder and so I thought you know if I ever had the chance to make through to recovery myself I want to then work towards trying to then help others to find recovery and actually build a better relationship with food in their body. Um, because, yeah, whether you realize it or not, you know, having a poor relationship with food or your body, whatever spectrum that's on, will interfere with, you know, everything in your life, like your relationship with food, exercise, career, um, your relationships to people, you know, your hormones, your health, like all these different things. So, yeah, went through that own journey myself and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to work to help people. Obviously, going through that myself, I have, um, you know, my own lived experience. So I'm like, I understand what it's actually like. I understand my own story. That's not, you know, everyone else's own lived experience of an eating disorder. But I understand a level of that, of what, what I went through. And I was like, if I want to be in the place where I can, you know, gain the qualifications to actually help people. Um, that's kind of where my journey kind of started. And then from there, I was actually studying um, like a bachelor's in nutrition at that time. And so I was like, I wanted to become a dietitian. So I went on into my master's in that. Um, and yeah, throughout that, I was kind of like, that was always the goal to work towards becoming an eating disorder dietitian. So yeah, once I 
completed my undergrad and then my postgrad and then did further extra training over this whole last year, well, last year, 2023, um, to get my full qualifications as an eating disorder dietitian because, you know, as much as uni is great and teaches you a lot of things, it, you know, doesn't fully go um, through the depths of eating disorders and actually working one-on-one with clients through that. So it was really important um, to me and, you know, one of my values of actually being able to get those qualifications so I feel equipped to help people. And I guess that's where, you know, I've kind of led now to my own journey is being able to, you know, share that online with like my community, but then also work one-on-one with clients to really help them through their own journey through that, whether it is, you know, disordered eating or whether it is, you know, an eating disorder, whatever level that is. Um, yeah, it's like something I guess that really fulfills me as well because I'm like, there's nothing more than I love to help support people that have gone from having that poor relationship with food in their body to then moving towards even a neutral relationship or one that's actually positive, you know, and actually supports their health moving forward. So that's kind of, yeah, my little bit of a story and I guess what inspired me to become a dietitian. I love that. I think it's so special talking to people that have have a backstory behind why they do what they do. And I think when, which I think it often plays out this way where when you're working with other people and you're working to try and help other people, often it plays out that the people that you want to help are the people that experience or are experiencing the same kinds of things that you did because as you say you're able to have that deeper level of empathy you really understand what they're going Mm. through and also you know hopefully you've been able to come out the other side and you can sort of show people how to do that as well um and I think there's just you create so much more passion when you do things that way as well because you really like deeply care and you know how things can be different mm. and you know you know how you can support people in that, um, which I think is so special. I also wanted to touch on, I suppose, what you said in terms of obviously you've done lots and lots of years of study and you have those university qualifications, but then you also did further study to be able to not only be qualified, but feel qualified to be able to help people with eating disorders. What did that study look like, I guess? Like what were the different, are they certifications that you're doing? Are they specific courses? Is it reading books? Like what does that look like to be able to get that extra level apart from just, I mean, the dietitian is obviously a level above um, nutritionist and then obviously then getting the disordered eating and eating disorder kind of qualification on top of that is something else yeah 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 so I did um two courses through inside out which is the national institute for eating disorders so they're all online and you can also do them in person um you know all around Australia but to actually um you know work with people that have eating disorders you need to be a credentialed eating disorder clinician um because there is so many levels that come with it and I think one major thing around it is, and even for, you know, any um, professionals working with people that have, you know, maybe disordered eating or an eating disorder is that there is an extremely high um, medical risks that comes with that. So actually being able to understand that and understand the ins and outs of that, because, you know, it is one of the most um, highest mortality risks for mental illness in Australia as well. So actually understanding that to a level, um, it's actually not something, you know, you get completely taught in just doing, you know, the masters in dietetics because, you know, we cover everything. We don't cover just eating disorders. So yeah, actually going and doing that qualification, it's an online course and it has lots of case studies and things like that. And then as well, 
being able to actually go to like conferences in person and stuff that's also really insightful because you get to learn about like new research and different things or I guess different um ways of you know working with clients and whatever that looks like so that's kind of what yeah my kind of process to do that um and then on top of that you know having mentoring with my own coach um that is a dietitian that has worked in eating disorders for many years that's also really important as well because you know when you navigate this there's a lot of unknowns and things like that that will come up so having that support as well but yeah definitely um the inside out institute is what i kind of went through to do those and they are um like graduation certificates that you know qualify you as that clinician and things like that and then on top of that you have to once you do all the training you have to actually then apply to be a credentialed eating disorder clinician um which that means you have to actually show that you've done all the training and there's like certain different trainings to different health professionals as well um but yeah you have to submit that you have to submit like a whole big summary about different things to actually then you know, get the approval to be credentialed as well. So yeah, that's the kind of process um, that I took. And yeah, it took me about like a year to kind of get through all that. And I think it's a really important point to sort of bring up and really sort of shine a light on, because as you say, there's so much that encompasses working with people with eating disorders. um, And it Mm. is a lot of responsibility for the clinician that's working with them. Because as you say, like, they are a demographic that has an incredibly high mortality rate. Um, But it's, it's, you know, the mortality rate, but it's also the morbidity rate as well in terms of it's not just they have a bad relationship with food, but some of the consequences of those eating disorders are actual sort of health concerns in terms of bone density in terms of, you know, lots of other different conditions, which you know, you have to be, you know, you have to be across and you have to understand and you also have to be qualified to be able to work with. Um, and so I think yeah. that is important to shine a light on in terms of even scope of practice when it comes to coaches um, mm. because I think we're really lucky and privileged as coaches to often be the first touch point for a client and often we're the people that sort of yeah. maybe see them the most or see them first I guess but acknowledging yeah as a coach and as a personal trainer what your scope of practice is um as well as also just your own limitations in terms of what we know not even just like what we're qualified Mm. to actually work with but just how much we know about certain conditions um and so I think it's important to as I always say on this podcast to have a referral network and have people that you can refer out to um but then also it's important I think to educate ourselves as coaches on potentially some of the signs that we need to be looking out for and Mm -hmm. you know how we can be working you know as a like that sort of synergistic care with dietitians with doctors with physios depending on all of the different outcomes the other thing I wanted to clarify because I, I mean, I, I like to think that I would understand the distinction, but maybe I don't, maybe other people listening don't. Um, but the distinction between someone with an eating disorder and someone with disordered eating behaviors, what, how would you define the distinction there? Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely like, it's a, there's not like a black and white. There's, it's on a spectrum. It's on a line, you know, there is disordered eating, which can, you know, go to eating disorders. Um, And, you know, when we look at disordered eating, that may include, you know, restrictive eating, um, compulsive eating or like irregular or um, inflexible kind of eating patterns where it's like someone has to, you know, eat whatever it is um, and things like that. 
So disordered eating, you know, it's like kind of very more broad because we probably will chat about this, but a lot of things in, I guess, the health and fitness industry that are very normalized, actually, when you look at it, you're like, well, that's actually disordered. Like that's not necessarily um, very health promoting and things like that. So there's a spectrum to it. Um, but it's, and it obviously depends on, you know, how much it's also affecting the person's life, which I think that's probably the key thing around it is like, how much is the disordered eating behaviors affecting that person's life? So, you know, if it's controlling everything, like that's an eating disorder, you know, if it's, they can't go out and do whatever because they don't want to eat the food there, like that's an eating disorder. Obviously there's also like time periods around this as well, because I even have clients that might come to me that have found themselves like potentially going down that pathway and so they've come to me to kind of be like oh you know I'm starting to worry about this and this and I want to help with this um which is always a great thing because I'm like you're aware of potentially that this could lead to x y and z so coming to me to kind of be like okay let's like work together to actually you know build that healthy relationship with food now before you get down to the point where you have an eating disorder because the other thing as well is that People won't necessarily realize they have an eating disorder when they have an eating disorder. And that's personal experience. Like I, for many years, was like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, love my health and fitness and, you know, taking my meals out to eat in social situations and sit there and eat my food. Like it was all very normalized. It was only when, you know, the doctor read me through that kind of um, questionnaire and they're like, okay, you have an eating disorder. Um, So that's the other thing as well, even with like coaches. There's the SCOF, um, which is S. C-O-F-F questionnaire, which is like an easy kind of short little questionnaire that you can actually run through with clients and also do it in a maybe discreet way as well um, to actually get an idea of where that client is at. But, you know, other behaviors, I guess, around disordered eating, eating disorders, you know, like fasting, whether it's binge eating, skipping meals, um, avoiding a type of food or certain food group group with an actual um potential like whether it's an intolerance or things like that like also getting clear on what's the why behind it what's the intention behind it which again that can be tricky to actually you know get to the bottom of that for some people as well um but yeah other behaviors you know whether it's you know um self-induced you know vomiting um even like steroid use you know laxative use diet pills all of those things they're all signs of eating disorders disordered eating um but as it gets said it's on a spectrum and the best thing that you can do is trying to understand, you know, how much does it actually affect this person's life? Um, how much, you know, even asking them certain questions around like, oh, do you know, are you concerned about how much you weigh and if that changes, you know, day to day? Like, is that really distressing to you? Um, getting clear on, you know, their relationship broadly around food and their body is a way to then kind of um, decipher whether this is potentially disordered eating or it's a full-blown eating disorder where it's, you know, something that is controlling their life because that's what an eating disorder is it's a mental illness and it is um a way for someone to you know gain control around different things but it actually controls like the eating disorder ends up controlling you so it's yeah can't really give you a black and white answer but it's on a spectrum um and just kind of understanding where you know that person is you know building rapport with it you know what's behind it what's the intention is an easy way to kind of get an idea um and then even as you mentioned before like the best thing that a coach can do um, is actually kind of say, hey, look, I think there's maybe an issue here. You know, I could be completely wrong, but I would feel a lot better, um, you know, actually working with you for, you know, X, Y, and Z if you went and, you know, 
spoke to a dietitian or you went and spoke to your GP or, you know, you maybe looked at because there's lots of resources online as well. Um, so even if it is, you know, sending a questionnaire to a client to do in private and say, hey, you know, maybe do this questionnaire, you know, see what it comes up at. And then potentially, you know, if it kind of triggers things for you, then go and speak to a GP or something. Like you can do it in ways that isn't so, um, I guess, invasive because, yeah, most people struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder won't necessarily be aware of that and they're also probably going to be potentially a bit resistant to the resistant to the idea that there is actually something wrong. So it's also navigating that with kind of grace for the person but also being like, hey, you know, in my experience, some of these behaviours I would think, um, you know, are a bit disordered and aren't super healthy, you know. I could be completely wrong and this could be just be, you know, me kind of overthinking or whatever, but I would feel a lot better if, you know, you went and, you know, did this questionnaire or, you know, went and spoke to your GP or whatever it is um, because, yeah, that can be a way to go about it that isn't so, I guess, intense. Mm. And that's the thing, I think, as coaches and as personal trainers, obviously we have a duty of care to our clients mm -hmm. and I think yeah. it would be really easy, you know, you get a new client or someone is wanting to sign up for you or sign up with mm. you. Um, and obviously in the fitness space or the health space or the coaching space, often we have people coming to us because they have a particular aesthetic goal, whether it's weight gain, mm. whether it's um, weight loss, whether it's, you know, their relationship with exercise and how frequently they should be training and that sort of more orthorexic side of things. Um, mm. And I think it's, it would be really easy for coaches to see someone who is, is vulnerable to those kind of signs and symptoms that you talked about and think, okay, cool. Amazing. Like <laughs> this client wants to sign up with me. Cool. Let's put them straight on a program. Let's put them straight on a meal plan. Not that we should be doing meal plans anyway, unless they're qualified to, but um, straight on, you know, a training plan, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, yeah. and not actually think about the consequences of that. Um mm. And yeah. whether or not that particular client is, yeah, at risk of potentially disordered eating behaviors. Because I think it's, as I said, yeah, really easy to get a new client, not ask the right questions. Um, and obviously, you don't know that person as well yet. And to immediately assign them to a training plan or assign them to a particular meal plan or calories or sort of whatever it is. And if you don't know what their relationship is like or their history is like with, tracking or with exercise or with their body or with you know whether or not they should be weighing their body every week or taking progress photos like if you don't know what their history is like with that it's almost irresponsible and like negligent and unethical to be you know doing those things which might work for some clients but aren't going to work for others so I think that's a really great point to be putting together some kind of questionnaire in just even the regular pre-screening questions that you might ask your clients about injuries, about, you know, what their history with exercise is, what kind of training they've done in the past, like all of that kind of stuff. And if you're throwing any, if you can throw in questions around their relationship with food, um, I think that's really, really important just so that you can have a base understanding and you can see any red flags that come out and then as you say like as you get to know the client and you can have slightly more organic conversations with them as well and you know someone might not present with an eating disorder at the start of their journey but then as they get deeper and deeper into the fitness industry as we know there's some murky waters there in terms of 
health promotion versus diet culture. And so, you know, that relationship Mm -hmm. can change throughout, you know, your coaching journey with them too. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Actually Qualified podcast. I'm Kayla, the founder of AWPT University. And if you're here, you're probably a dedicated fitness professional, personal trainer, or online coach who aspires to create an impact in the women's health and fitness industry through up-leveling your knowledge and skills, servicing your clients to the highest standard, and building a business that changes both you and your clients' lives. Because we value your continuous education and want to reward our podcast listeners who are committed to their growth and learning, we want to gift you $200 off our OG AWPT eight-week certification. This comprehensive online course covers women's anatomy and biomechanics, training and programming, female health and nutrition, training during pregnancy and postpartum, perimenopause, and so much more. Visit www.awptuniversity.com so today and mind, use the code awptpodcast, um, one word and all uppercase, at checkout. We've also linked it in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. With a few different coaches in terms of the health and fitness space and I guess the fact that some of the rhetoric in this space and some of the behaviours in this space are a bit murky in terms of, yeah, promoting health and promoting diet culture. And I think, I don't know if this is your experience with your clients, if you work with a lot of um, personal trainers and coaches, but I think because we are so deeply in this like fitness space and nutrition space, it's very easy to start over over complicating things or start presenting with some of those disordered behaviors and we just label it as something different like it's that whole binge restrict cycle but we label it cut and bulk or um you know in the competition bodybuilding space like that is obviously an incredibly like disordered um approach to food and exercise but because it's for this further goal of like sport it it's not necessarily considered or like viewed through that lens of the fact that it's actually not normal to bring all of your food to dinner and eat it there or weigh every single morsel of your food um so I guess what is your experience like in that space or with the clients that you work with is that something that you find is quite common yeah yeah so usually like there's usually, obviously everyone's got their own story, but usually the clients that come to me, there's some sort of story of, you know, they've dieted, they've gone on and off diets for their whole life for whatever reason, whether they, you know, started doing a, some diet trend because they saw it online, whether they started going to a gym and there was like an eight-week challenge and they put them on ridiculous low food or whatever it is. Like usually the clients that come to me, there's some sort of history of dieting um, and yo-yo dieting because we know, you know, if you're going to put someone on really small amount of food for eight weeks or whatever, the result of that is, yes, they're going to lose weight, of course, right? They're going to lose a lot of water weight too, um, but they're going to be so deprived that they get to the end of that eight weeks and then it leads to, you know, an overindulgence after that because they're like, oh, my God, I can eat again. Um, and then because, you know, when anyone diets, naturally our body wants to keep us safe. So when someone diets, it's only going to speed up your metabolism and all your hunger 
hormones or things like that because the body's like, okay, cool, like, you know, what's going on? I don't want to starve because, you know, back in the day, starving, we didn't want that, right? So usually there's some sort of story like that and then they come out of that period, they end up then, you know, whether they lead into binge eating or they lead into then, um, you know, this overeating because they just have this intense desire to eat because of the restriction, right? And from that period as well, you know, there's eight weeks, usually, you know, there's mental restriction, there's physical restriction because, you know, they're following a plan, they're trying to be good. They get to the end of that eight weeks, they then lead to whether it's um, binge eating and then that guilt around eating too much, you know, comes into play. And then that thing that that's when I guess I should say things really intensify after that period. Usually people will regain weight, whether it's all or more. Um, and then they're like, oh my gosh, you know, what have I done? I've just regained all the way and they go into another period of that. So that's that yo-yo kind of dieting cycle. So what I see is most clients that come to me, um, you know, there's been some sort of thing of that, whether they've potentially gone on a diet, you know, they've then lost weight. They didn't think that was enough. They then went on another diet. They kept going, they kept going because they were like, well, this is working. You know, if I don't eat food, I'm just going to get smaller and smaller, um, which that in itself, you know, leads to things um, like that disordered view around their body. So body dysmorphia as well. So they think, you know, I'm not small enough. I need to keep going, which over time, you know, then leads to an eating disorder. Um, so usually there's some story like that where there's a history of dieting and dieting is the biggest um, predictor of disordered eating, eating disorders. Um so usually there's a history like that, you know, come clients that will come to see me. Um, and I guess where it gets tricky, as you kind of said before, is, you know, there's cutting and bulking, right? And then there's also that binge and restrict cycle. So it's also really hard to, you know, um, see whether I guess someone's relationship with food in their body is potentially, you know, in a healthy place where they can view, view food as, you know, food or, you know, if they are training for something like, you know, you will find people that, um, adhere to really, um, you know, strict kind of protocols around their food because they need to train or make weight for whatever it is. And they actually might have a great relationship with food in their body, right? They might not have these intrusive thoughts around their body and things like that. Like, so it's tricky to kind of, again, give a black and white answer, but especially in the online space, especially, you know, in, um, you know, I guess the fitness industry in general, um, and diet culture as well, like it thrives off people's insecurities, which as humans, we all have them because we all want to fit in and be accepted. That's just a natural, you know, desire that we have. So it's only natural that we're going to compare. And I guess where the kind of fitness industry, um, you know, kind of profits off, profits off is those insecurities, right? And that's when it's people looking for that quick fix because they're like, if I can get to X, Y, and Z, that's going to give me happiness, right? If I can, you know, just get my, the magic pill to lose weight, like that's going to bring me happiness, which again, um, I guess continues this cycle around, um, you know, people thinking that they need to look a certain way because that's going to make them feel better. So it is kind of one of those things where it's not a complete um, black and white thing, but it all comes down, it's what I always say to my client, it all comes down to relationship you have with it. As my own, um, you know, as I practice as a dietitian, um, and I guess the way that I work with my clients is I emphasize health, not weight. And I really work on, I guess, the principles around intuitive eating. So, you know, listening to your body um, instead of adhering to these diet rules, because I know through research and my own experience is that when you restrict someone from something, naturally the only response is wanting to have more of it, right? If you tell someone, don't think of a pink elephant, 
you're going to think think of a pink elephant, right? It's the same thing with food. So I guess when I work with my clients, it's really shifting away from all of that. And one thing I get to get my clients to do is actually like going through their social media and being like, getting rid of of all, you know, that dieting kind of messaging, because for someone that is struggling with their relationship with food, still following accounts where people track their macros and things like that, even if they don't have an eating disorder and potentially they're not even that far along down that journey, that's still, um, you know, sending the messages that those behaviors are okay and those behaviors are normalized. When I would say for the majority of people, they don't need to be tracking every food they eat, right? You don't need to be weighing yourself every day. You don't need to be so tightly controlled around these things. Obviously, we want to promote health, but I think what the fitness industry gets wrong is this obsession around the way that you look and that being, you know, health when that's completely not, right? It's physical health, it's mental health, it's emotional health, right? It also doesn't even take into consideration, you know, the diverse range of people, cultures, you know, that we do have. Um, because, you know, for someone, if we put, you know, everyone on the same amount of food, right, everyone's going to have a different response to their body. You know, for someone, it might be too much food. For another person, it might be way less food, right? So it's also, um, you know, how I work as well, really getting clear on the person that I'm working with, getting to know them, you know, their history, as we kind of spoke about before, and really trying to work in um, to, towards creating their own version of health, right? Not this version of health that the fitness industry promotes because a lot of that time, you know, it's built off people that are genetically blessed that, you know, profit off people buying the product, people following a certain diet plan, people doing X, Y, and Z when it's like, actually, let's just get back to the own person and actually finding out what works for them and how their relationship with food is and like with their body as well. 100%. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up. I mean, you brought up so many in there. Um, But this idea that coaches and the people that are so like in the trenches of the fitness space, uh, we often are sort of projecting whether it's our own issues or what works Mm -hmm. for us onto our clients. And as you say, for the general population, which for the majority of coaches and personal trainers, the types of clients that we're working with, um, unless you're working with athletes or, you know, other or competitors and all of that kind of stuff, the majority of the general population don't need to be tracking every morsel of their food or just don't need to be tracking at all the majority of people don't need to be exercising for an hour, five, six, seven days a week. Um, The majority of the general population don't need to do like X, Y, Z. And so it's, yeah, it's not um, about projecting what we do, what works for us, um, our own issues, our own insecurities onto our clients. Um, And as you say, it's sort of promoting health and not an aesthetic, um, not a particular way of training. And I think, yeah, it's it's easy to fall into the trap of that. Even falling into the trap, I think, for coaches and for personal trainers, obviously from a marketing perspective, you know, there are a lot of coaches that are going to do sort of before and after posts. And so from a marketing perspective, the coach is going to look at a client and see it as a marketing opportunity to be like, look how I took this client who weighed X and looked like this half naked to this photo of this client who weighs this and now looks like this. And so again, it's sort of promoting this idea that 
a healthy outcome from training and from exercise is just weight loss and like a body recomposition as opposed to, you know, whether they, whether their cardiac sort of output has changed or their like lung capacity has changed or, you know, they were lifting this, but they're now lifting this. Um, and yeah, as you say, like it's, it's not uncommon or the, the cycle that, is perpetuating this diet culture like coaches are in it and coaches are a part of it because we profit off it as well um and so yeah I think something to keep in mind for coaches that are listening to this podcast is sort of what are your values and if your values are health promotion in the true sense of the word and all of the different pillars of health in terms of you know physical social mental emotional spiritual all of that kind of stuff or is it just body recomposition because they're two different things. And I really love your point. And it's something that I raise all the time is that, you know, a quote unquote healthy behavior is only as healthy as your relationship with it. So, you know, prioritizing like nutrient dense food, yeah, is a really healthy behavior. But if you're so concerned with like the nutrient density and you have to like look at the ingredients on the back of every single packaged food, or you won't eat out because you don't know what's in something like that is not, a healthy habit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I always say to my clients, like similar to what you just said is I'm more concerned about your relationship with food than the actual food you're eating. Because I think we, you know, even um, like even dietitians can do this and health professionals is actually overcomplicate healthy eating, right? Like, yes, it's going to look very different. Um, and even when we talk about, and I guess the clients I do work with, I'm not sitting there saying to my clients like, Hey, you know, forget all the healthy you know, foods and the foods that have, you know, antioxidants and nutrients. Like I'm not saying forget all of that and then go sit around, do nothing, eat 12 donuts a day, right? Like that's what not what we're promoting. We're actually promoting also like gentle nutrition of being like, hey, you know, eating veggies is going to be good for you. You know, it's going to help your digestion. It's going to make you feel good mentally as well rather than like, oh, you need to eat this food because it's low calorie and it's going to make you lose weight. I think that's where there's a massive, massive difference. And yeah, as you said, having, um, you know, I guess a healthy behavior is only as healthy as your relationship to it, which is such a good point. And yeah, super key as well to be making sure that you're practicing from that perspective as well. Because yeah, as you said, you do like people do market off, you know, fat loss and before and after photos, because people think that, okay, if I just get, you know, this quick fix, that's going to make me happy. That's going to make me feel better in my body. Um, but lots of the times, you know, they lose the weight and then, you know, you get the before and after photo, but it's like, have you seen them six months later, right? Have you seen them, you know, a couple of years later, right? Have they regained the weight? Because usually 90% of the time people do, and if not more, because our body will fight back against those natural mechanisms as well. Exactly. This is something that I was talking about with the AWP team over AWPT team over the weekend is, yeah, that sort of perpetual cycle that just goes on and on for clients is they'll sign up with a coach the coach will put them on a low calorie diet and an over exercising training program they'll lose weight or they won't because like it doesn't always obviously work that way if their you know energy availability is is low coming into it and they're put on an even more restrictive diet etc etc and so they just move from coach to coach because they're not actually getting the results that they want or they're yo-yoing and then as soon as they put the weight back on then they go see another coach and it just it doesn't actually fix the problem or fix the relationship with the food um and i think it's a really good way to round out this conversation is you know you defined eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors by habits and a relationship with food that affects 
your life and like affects your lifestyle Mm. and so you know I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind when we're coaching clients and working with people is that it sort of encompasses that whole your healthy habit is only as healthy as your relationship to it so if these habits are Mm. impacting your client's life sort of detrimentally then that is a sign of eating disorder and like that's another approach that you're going to have to take or that is the sign that you need to be referring out to other people that can work with them um, because, as I said, like it is a, you do have a duty of care when you're working with at-risk people or just humans in general to make sure that they are healthy because that's the industry that we're in. So I think that is an amazing place to wrap up this conversation. Um, Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot as well. But if they want to follow up and learn more, where can they find you? Yeah, so people can find me over on Instagram at Christina's Kitchens. So that's with an S on the end. Um, And from there, I've got my website. I've got free resources, um, all the different things on there as well. Otherwise, you can also go to my website, which is christinamullenhow.com. And that, again, is going to have a lot more about my services, um, you know, how I work and different things, um, and as well, different resources and things like that, that, um, yeah, I even have as well, because I also do have even a body image course that I know lots of health professionals have um, done as well to help them, you know, through their own relationship with body image, but also being able to then help clients as well. So, yeah. There's lots of things on there, but yeah, Instagram's kind of my main one and you'll be able to find, you know, the other things if you head over to there too. Amazing. And I will have all of those links in the show notes below. But thank you so much, Christina. And I am so excited to continue this conversation. And yeah, thank you. Awesome. And thanks so much for having me. It's been a wonderful chat and I always love, yeah, chatting about this. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Actually Qualified podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content. Catch you next time.